0: Welcome back to Potida, de everyone. I am your host, Clara. And I'm your host, Jessica. Today we have uh, Jason Samuel Smith in the studio with us. We have been wanting to interview Jason since last summer when we saw him at Jacob's Pillow in the show, or in the performance, and Still You Must Swing, which was incredible, and we will definitely talk about a little bit more in this interview. It's an ongoing show, and many people will have the chance to see it around the country next up in Houston, uh, in Houston, Texas. So we'll talk more about that, but we are thrilled to finally get Jason into the studio with us now in uh, February. (laughs) Um, Thanks for having me. So yeah, we'll tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll get started as per usual. Jason Samuel Smith is an established leader for TAP with accolades as choreographer, performer, and humanitarian. He received an Emmy, a Dance Magazine Award, and an an American Choreography Award, as well as various grants and residencies supporting the development of new work. His choreography and film credits include Black Nativity, hit series Psych, cbs's secret talents of the stars so you think you can dance dancing with the stars and many more stage credits include soul possessed broadway's bring in the noise bring in defunct and imagine tap he continues to tour worldwide both as a soloist and with his company and various projects As a humanitarian, Jason supports organizations including Dancers Responding to AIDS, Tied to Greatness, Career Transitions for Dancers, Tap into a Cure, Groove with Me, and Move the World, among others. He aims to promote respect for tap dance and continue to create opportunities for upcoming generations as he travels the world as an ambassador for tap. And then we also have a special treat. Here today we have Simone Maurice in studio with us. Simone Maurice is a filmmaker who just finished a documentary about Jason. Uh, it's called Lost in the Shuffle, and it is uh, showing at the Dance on Camera Festival this weekend. Um, by the time people are listening to it, of course it will have passed, but uh, really exciting to have both of them together, and uh, we can't wait to talk a little bit about the documentary um, after our interview with Jason. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. Thanks Very again nice. for coming for making it in. Thank you for having me. So to get started, uh, tell us how you got into dance and when you decided to pursue tap as a serious or professional career.
1: Well, growing up in New York City with my mother Sue Samuels and my my older sister Elka Samuels, my my mom had us at, at the studio every day, pretty much waiting for her to finish teaching. And that was our, you know, my and my sister's introduction to dance and and great music. As
0: what did well. she do? Your your mother?
1: My mother teaches jazz dance. Oh, um, she's awesome. still teaching currently um, throughout New York, Broadway Dance Center, uh, Perry Dance. Oh daily and she has a dance company as well right now that's currently performing in and, and touring called Jazz Roots Dance Company. So she's really holding down like a specific style of jazz dance that you know very few people are are continuing right now. So it's really cool um she really just I guess introduced us to that to an entire world being at at the Broadway Dance Center Great teachers, great dancers were there constantly. And it was just an environment for practice. You know, pe- people weren't trying to audition for anything or get ahead. It was just just trying to better themselves. And people would come dressed however they wanted to, sweaty and, it, you know, wall to wall. I mean, you used to see the, the mirrors fog up in, in BDC. So that was the vibe there. And then, you know, they used to have showcases where some masters would come through and, and perform. And I remember seeing uh, Lon Chaney and Chuck Green and Buster Brown perform there as one of the local showcases in the studio. And that was like one of my first exposures to some of these elders and these masters in tap. And eventually Savion Glover started teaching at at Broadway Dance Center. And I started taking class from him. So he then ushered in a whole entire uh, different world for me in terms Mm. of tap dance, in terms of the connection to the elders and the tradition. Gregory Hines and people like Jimmy Slide and Diane Walker. So Broadway dance was really the environment that laid the foundation for me when I was young and gave me a lot of inspiration from every direction.
2: Excellent. That's great. So you studied with Savion Glover, which I'm sure was so amazing on so many levels. Yep. What kind of practice does it take to become a good tap dancer or how many hours are you really in the studio and what does practice look like
1: (laughs) wow I would say um you know when you're at a point of of intense training when you're really trying to better your skills and 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 get to another level you you know you got to put in at least three to four hours a day you know because when I was at my most intense practice it's probably when I was actually on Broadway and bringing the noise bringing the funk. I was an understudy and a swing in the show to start with. So, in the beginning, I was practicing from, you know, the time I arrived till 30 minutes after the show was over. Wow. And I might have been sweating more than the people coming off the stage. Yeah. I got a lot of people's attention in that environment because because of my work ethic and how I was practicing. Uh, you know, I I credit Derek Derek grant for a lot of that because i didn't even know how to practice and how to improve my improvisation and just my overall skills and he told me you need to take whatever you're weakest at and just build on that and i would literally do a step like a cramp roll was something i was very sloppy at
2: Um, those are so hard they are (laughs) hard rhythmically definitely and
1: and to really separate the sounds and and to get a, you know, clear sound and a a good feeling. And then also the the accent, the attack, it takes a while to really get it right. I I mean, I I would practice that step for hours, just that one step until I got so bored
3: because (laughs) I was
1: just doing the same thing that I, I would change it up a little bit. And that's also how I started building my vocabulary. One step, you know, one step that I was terrible at became my strength just practicing it over and over again for hours helped me build my vocabulary and and it it gave me my my launching point for all my improvisation after that
0: mm, that's such a good point and i think that's where uh a lot of people have have trouble when uh you're trying to build a skill because you don't want to do the thing that you're not good at. It's not fun. You feel bad about yourself. You exactly feel frustrated. And so it's hard to really make yourself just focus on that and focus on that and focus on that. But he's like, you're right on. That's exactly what it takes.
1: Definitely. Mm-hmm. Good
0: life advice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of martial arts and martial artists. And there was a quote that one of my friends who's a martial artist said recently. He said, you know, you don't fear the fighter who does a thousand kicks once fear yeah. the fighter who does one kick a thousand times. Mm. And so it's more about intention and what your purpose is with your practice too. There's also a lot of people practicing and they're practicing and building their technique and skill, but then they have no feeling. They have absolutely no musicality, no rhythm, no timing. Now they're just executing steps at a robotic inhuman level which is like okay that's impressive in one sense but where's the feeling what do you what is you, what's your point yeah you know, absolutely. there's an objective when you're doing a step or routine or a rhythm you want to conjure a feeling or spark somebody's mind like okay I didn't think that was a possibility now it is
2: that applies to all dance techniques. That's so true. You can practice over and over again, but how you practice is so important. Exactly. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. It's two sides of that coin. Like you can do something robotically just to force yourself to do it over and over and over, like those skills you're weak at. And you have to be have the discipline to do that, but then at some point you have to once you get it technically introduce the feeling or like be yeah. able to get back to that instead yeah. of just going into your robotic like I can do this space exactly. Definitely. mind
1: thing no matter what you practice you have to make it your own you know because in the beginning it's foreign to you and that's why you need to to repeat it over and over again until it's not foreign and then when you when it becomes a part of your everyday conversation then you know it's you don't have to work on it like that anymore now you can work on the nuances
0: um, I'm, I've always been curious, with tap, is there a musical component of the education that's tied to learning tap? Like, Do you have to do some percussion, or is that helpful to take like music classes?
1: It is. It, it would be nice if we had uh, musical theory introduced in, into our studies and into our practice at an earlier stage. I think most people, when they're introduced to tap dance, it's strictly a dance form. Yeah. It's strictly movement and they're not even approaching it from a musical or rhythmic standpoint. And a lot of times they ended up, they end up going back and say, oh, well, you know, let's, let's make it musical, but you should try to be developing that throughout your practice. You know, when you're practicing these steps over and over again, figure out how, what, what is the musical part of the step? How does it apply to a, a phrase or a melody or a rhythm. Not every teacher is going to bring those things to the table. Mm-hmm. So I always recommend tap dancers to to keep reaching for educators who will expand their minds beyond the dance and make it about the music because the teachers I had like Savion and Derek and Tariq Winston as well, they were all about the music of the dance yeah. And then once I met more of these elders, they were even more about the musicality than the physicality. Because then you get to a certain stage in an age in your life where you're not going to do those same physical things anymore. So then you you adjust and you adapt your style. And it becomes more about the sound and the texture and the accents and the musicality. And when you master that, you don't need a lot of movement. You don't need speed and power. Those things are secondary to the delivery, to the grace, you know, to the beauty.
2: Wow. So if music really is such this, I would say, supporting aspect of tap, what is some musical lineage or cultural lineage that also informs tap dance? And to make that question more complicated, Mm -hmm. how does that relate to The history that you said Savion had introduced you to by way of Gregory Hines, Jimmy Slide, and others.
1: Wow. Well, I I would say before Savion and and people like Tariq, the dance was just being taught to me through steps, through routines. Once people like Savion and and Tariq and and Derek pretty much opened, opened my eyes to the community of tap dancers and the contributors to the art form, It gave it a different sense of purpose for me. Interesting. Um, People like Harold Cromer, who were always a part of the scene here in New York. You know, he lived in Manhattan Plaza, so I would see him in Midtown all the time. And then Buster Brown, who was also a New York resident, he hosted Swing 46's Tap Jam every Sunday. Oh, cool. So I actually got to spend time with a lot of these elders. You know, and Mabel Lee, who was actually still living here in New York and Harlem she's in her 90s right now you know and i'd see her and and you know Harold and Buster and all these great local artists and they would constantly talk to us i mean they made sure that when we were at these jam sessions they would they would coach us they would tell us on the side okay look you know when you're up there have a conversation with the musicians there was their guidance and and that level of interaction and also Just them telling us, like, look, you know, take your time. Like, when you're there, you're directing the band, you know. So you have to literally arrange the song or the set how you would like it, which means you need to know about the song, the structure of the music, the form, if it's, you know, how long a chorus is. Those are the things that we had to learn that we had to learn. They didn't tell us, like, the the elders didn't necessarily break the music down and tell us, okay, this is a 32-bar phrase or this is 12 (laughs) bars. Mm -hmm. We had to figure that out by either interactions with musicians or just our own study. But, I mean, the fact that we had to learn that, they implemented that. Now, in terms of the cultural aspect, people like Harold Cromer told us so many stories. Initially about how a lot of the, the great art, and the great creations that these these black artists in tap and in jazz were doing, a lot of these things were taken and either used for for others' advantage or just completely stolen. And he talks about one particular case where he talks about Jerry Lewis, who obviously is a great comedian and, and artist in his own right. He supposedly stole his whole act from Harold Cromer's partner, James Cross, Really? Oh, wow. Stump and Stumpy, you know, hmm. that, that was the name of their act. Uh, Harold Cromer was Stumpy. James Cross was Stump. Now, when you go back and you look at old footage of Stump and Stumpy, and then you look at footage of Jerry Lewis, you can see where he got a lot of his material from. Now, he did give credit to James Cross later in some interviews, and he, you know, he tipped his hat. But he didn't say, I got my whole, you know, I took my entire act and boom, boom, boom. Now, James Cross never got the love that he deserved for what he did. And so Harold Cromer was constantly telling us, especially us young black dancers, be careful with Mm. your art form. Interesting. Don't just give it to everyone. Because in the past, it's been taken and we've been taken advantage of. And now the art has either gone super commercial and then the benefits are not coming back to the people who got it to that level,
3: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and in this case, it's like the Nicholas brothers, you know, we're all familiar with some of their great clips, uh, stormy weather, and down Argentine way. I mean, they, they weren't getting residuals for any of their work. And we see these clips over and over again everywhere, you know? And so it was really easy for a lot of other artists Especially in that era, to take somebody's material and then do it over here and then take credit for it.
2: Totally. Before the days of social media, before where the days of social media, videos side side.
1: and there was also the racial barrier where mm-hmm. people were saying, Oh, well, you don't have access over here, but I do.
3: Interesting. So I'm it's just terrible. gonna,
1: you know, I can use whatever I've seen you do over here. You'll never even know.
0: Was TAP particularly subject to that because it has so many components to a show that it's easy to steal for another genre. Or I, I don't know if I understood the story right, but did Jerry Lewis take it as, like, make it into a comedy act, what he had seen as a tap no. show? No, 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 or So
1: did... Stump and Stumpy were, they were a comedy act that also incorporated tap yeah. and singing, and they did everything. But they did comedy, and as a duo, they they had a particular act between them. Yeah. And James Cross was, I think, Pretty much the guy who was like writing their material and and you yeah. know running Imagine the do du- the duet right he he was running that team so you know at that time there were a lot of artists even like Fred Astaire there, there's stories of him stealing tons of material from John Bubbles
0: yeah and he like, could steal choreography directly because he sure. was also tapping and
1: again you know mm. these are, when when you have the platform and somebody else doesn't it's easier for you to get your, your name out there or for for you to get it out there and people to give you credit for it. Yeah. And the the issue with that is that now, if if you go to Europe or you go to certain countries that have a particular knowledge of tap, they think the first tap dancers are Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly and Eleanor Powell.
2: Huh. I'm sure so many people think that, actually. Yeah.
1: Probably more, yeah. M- most people, even in this country.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's, the ones be, we've it's, heard
1: of. it's because of how the art was commercialized when it was commercialized and who was seen at that commercial level people forget about bill robinson who used to dance with shirley temple i love
3: shirley temple
0: right but Mm -hmm. who's
1: the guy always dancing with shirley yeah that's bill bojangles robinson if he's not the greatest tap dancer of all time he's one of the greatest of all time we celebrate national tap dance day on his birthday
0: wow But,
1: but even a lot of the students I teach don't know who Bill Robinson is, but they know who Shirley Temple is.
0: So what what what's the basic history? Where, where did tap dance start?
1: Well, I, I would say tap dance, you know, is basically an extension of West African dance. Interesting. West and okay. Central and Eastern African styles. There's definitely influence from from other styles, from European styles, but the foundation is West African. Is, is dances that come from Senegal, from Nigeria, from Togo and Benin, from Ghana, from Cameroon. And even if you look at dance forms now, like, for example, uh, Sabar, the Sabar dance from Senegal, it's a dance that is basically a conversation between the dancer and the drummer. And the drummer has a drum called a talking drum, which they hold under one arm, and they use a bare hand and a stick. And the sounds and the phrasing that they get out of the hand and the stick are incredible and they're really loud and they're intense phrases and they, they get super syncopated and complicated to the point where like you can easily get lost if you're not like locked into that zone. So the conversation is happening between the dancer and the drummer. The dancer might do some footwork in a rhythmic pattern and the drummer is trying to follow the dancer and trying to, recreate wow. those rhythms, and then they change. Then the drummer leads and the dancer follows the drummer. This conversation is the basis for tap dance. This is why in tap culture, jazz music and improvisation is a perfect setting for us because we have these conversations between musicians, between other dancers. And these dances, they have roots in, in all types of ceremonies. I mean, we're talking about, you know, dances when, when somebody dies, dances when people get... Married dances of, of coming of age, you know, dances to pray for better weather or a different climate. I mean, these dances had intention and, you know, we might not understand all these intentions, but we're reconnecting with all these dances and all of those ancestors through these movements.
2: This is me just trying to process information out loud. When I think of West African dance and um, Afro-Caribbean, I think of it having polyrhythmic movements, and, of course, it's very connected to the music. And then when I think of tap, I also think of it being very connected to the music, but I don't see the polyrhythm. Um, I mean, it's very rhythmic with the actual tapping itself. Mm. And so it's interesting... I definitely see the lineage and the connection, mm. but maybe it's interesting how over time many people are very upright when they tap. Right. And other people are not upright when they tap. This is true. And so what's that about?
1: Well, <laughs> that's a that's a great question as well. Um, I mean, you know, within tap, especially at this point, I think people have uh, divvied up tap to say there's many different styles under, under this umbrella called tap dance. There's hoofing, which is about the musicality of the dance. So the dancer might not care one bit how they look. You know, they might look crazy, but the sound is the most beautiful sound you've maybe ever heard in your life. Whereas then you go to the opposite end of that spectrum where people will say Broadway tap or commercial or I don't, I don't know, it's a lot of different terms. Now, Broadway tap, in my opinion is beginner tap. Mm -hmm. It's just done in a, in a performance, um, setting. So you, there's more arms, there's more, there's simpler footwork with more coordinated movements. And so it's more about the performance element. For example, the Rockettes, Rockettes Mm -hmm. are the longest running chorus line in New York. And they, they've kept the tradition of, Simple tap yeah. with coordinated, you know, every everyone's the same height, legs are the same length and everything, you know. Everything's down to a T, but tap is still there. And it's there because it's been a tradition in the theater, in performance, in American culture from its inception. It just wasn't, tap didn't become commercial until it was written about in an English newspaper. And then everybody's like, oh, what's this tap craze? Where, you know, had,
0: where had it been done before that?
1: All throughout the United States. You know, people debate about the starting point of it. Some people say New York City in the Five Points area. Some people oh, say North Carolina and the Appalachian Hills. Some people say New Orleans and Congo Square, where pretty much jazz had its start. So it's debated where the first place is that somebody tap danced because it's kind of something that was evolving. In many places over time, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and cool. commercialized. Actually, uh, Dickens, Dickens wrote about tap dance. Really? And that was that was the, the beginning of his commercial wow. era. And I believe that I did was not know that. <laughs> in, the, in the 1800s. He wrote about. He wrote 1800s, um, yeah. yeah. 1800s. He wrote about Master Juba, who was considered the first tap dancer. But again, I'm sure he wasn't. Right. I'm Sure, that was just
3: <laughs> the first
1: one they saw. Yeah, you know,
3: first one at Dickens the time,
1: saw. right? First one Dickens saw on tour. Dickens came here like, "Oh my God, what's this? <laughs> this is incredible!" Like, yeah, you know. So, cool.
2: I love how New York always tries to claim the beginning of That's everything.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: totally salsa, like, hip hop, hip hop. Yeah, <laughs> I mean house music, jazz. house jazz. <laughs> I mean tech know, I'm not going to say tech but <laughs> you know we we, st- we start a lot of things in New York you know? yeah. uh-huh. claim it. Yeah. Oh, it's
0: funny it's just anecdotally I saw the Rockettes for the first time this year and um, when they started tapping they had one number that was a little bit more complex I, mm. it, it was very simple it was very simple sure. tapping and the audience went Nuts! No, they like standing ovation, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, what if these people saw it and still you must swing? Like, <laughs> like, how right. nuts would they Your go? Head would they would be, explode? Like, <laughs> they'd be like jumping into and down the whole time or well, something. Well,
1: that's you know one of the, one of my personal goals is, and and I'm sure with Derek Grant and Dormisha, they have similar aspirations to just raise the level of of the bottom line in tap dance because right now the bottom line is is mm-hmm. It's even below where the where the rockets are at.
0: In a lot of Broadway shows, you'll see just really simple. So
1: it's kind of like we want to bring the bottom up. And if we bring the bottom up, the top has got to raise, too, because you can't keep the top where it's at if the bottom is all the way up here. Derek Grant, he, him and Aaron Tolson co-produced a, a show called Imagine Tap that I was in in 2006. And... That was one of their goals. They created a chorus line of dancers, which included Jared Grimes, Michelle Dorrance, Chloe Arnold, like these were this was the chorus line. Jumani, Taylor, uh I mean it was these wow. are killers on the yeah. dance floor. Yes. But he wanted to say, look, the chorus line should be here because then the front line is up here. So yeah. let's readjust this so that whatever's on stage reflects what's in the community we're not there yet
2: that makes sense that can only elevate the art form and just get more people aware of real tap dancing
0: i think similar with ballet and other forms too though what most people see is at best the nutcracker by a large company in their town and a lot of times the nutcracker is a not the best show that any of those companies do but be it could be a small studio with dancers mm. who are learning, which is great. We all came up through studios learning, but a lot of people don't really see even close to the top of any dance genre. True. But I feel like tap has a more unique ability to really pull people into the world. We always talk about trying to get peop- more people involved in dance and interested yeah. in dance. And, and I think it just appeals more widely or more readily maybe than something like ballet well, sometimes you can it's hear so it. fun yeah. yeah because
1: it's auditory it, it automatically it changes the dynamics it so exactly
2: yeah and when you hear it you're also feeling it
1: and you feel yeah. it this vibration yeah mm-hmm. so it's actually stimulating more of your senses when you're experiencing it
3: oh, and then when you're
1: in the great. room it does even more because you you're actually feeling that vibration and then we feed off of it. I mean, you know, what what dancer doesn't feed off of like the energy in the room, you know, when somebody's giving you positive energy or any kind of energy, it could be boring you. You know, that could still <laughs> yeah. spark your, your flame. So
2: Yeah, one yawn will spark another. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this it is will. This is
0: well, I don't know if this is really more in the one oh one level or what, but also so often in tap you see this kind of uh, showboat style that's like really just fun in mm-hmm. fact even in Michelle Dorrance's show that we saw two years ago, three years mm-hmm. ago at The Pillow The Blues Project, the Blues Project yes. Oh mm-hmm. my god, parts of it were like break your heart, I didn't even know tap could be slow and emotional and like mm-hmm. sad and, and yep. all of that but the other part, some of it was more what people maybe think of as like bouncy and fun and jazzy and I think that's really easy to get into as anyone because it's just as like fun in your face and you're smiling we were sitting there with huge smiles on our face the whole time we were watching like idiots like in the audience (laughs)
1: and then we
2: were crying i think we had a full like emotional experience (laughs) the whole show full spectrum yeah so tap still has that ability too
1: well i'll tell you you know you asked me earlier like what made me want to pursue tap professionally and it didn't really stick at that point but it planted a seed that is still embedded in my mind and i saw I saw Black and Blue when I was eight, and I saw Bunny Briggs dance to "In a Sentimental Mood," and I, you know, I'd never seen anyone tap to any any ballad or any slow music, and he was an older gentleman at the time, sharp. I mean, be, you know, dressed beautifully. His emotions just, I mean, they rang through that theater.
3: Hmm, I, wow. I
1: still can feel it. That performance. And wow. I'm almost, that's almost 30 years. And it and it hit me emotionally. And I didn't understand why. I'm like, why do I feel emotional from watching this older man dance to this slow song? Because it, it wasn't about the dance. It wasn't about the steps. It was about the feeling and the emotion and the intention. He had an intention from the beginning to the end. And he, man, if you didn't feel that, you were a You're robot. human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because wow. I, I mean, it. That stuck with me to the point where years later I said, wow, if I can recreate even an ounce of that, then I'm doing the right thing.
2: Definitely. There are the best moments in dance where you have that kinesthetic emotional response. That's what it's all about.
1: That's why I think live performance is so valuable. Big up to the the YouTube era and, you know, people are online getting a lot of information from from the Internet, but there's nothing like being in a room with somebody who can check you and look dead in your eyes and see whether you really want it or not or what. Because hmm. yeah. when you hmm. got a video, a video ain't going to tell you none of that. You know, It's not going to give you feedback. It's not going to call you out.
3: Yeah. You need that. <laughs> like
1: We've all had teachers, whether it was in dance or in school, that put us in check or our parents mm-hmm. or our parents' friends or our neighbors. When we don't get it from each other, I, I think we're missing a big part of, like, the process right now. So
0: so um, we saw you perform at Jacob's Pillow this past summer. It's already come up a couple times. Uh, th- that was with Dormisha Sumbry-Edwards and Derek K. Grant. Yeah. Uh, the show was And Still You Must Swing.
1: And Camille A. Brown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so f- for that show, I, I understand the three of you enlisted – Melee Brown's help to illustrate the connections between swing, rhythm tap, and other dance forms. And the performance was very moving and uh, even had a social justice component. So tell us more about that collaboration and what it meant to the artists who were involved.
1: Wow. Well, first of all, First off, I'll say it's one of the greatest shows I've ever been a part of. Wow, it's
0: saying a lot it, oh, for you. you've done everything oh, I've
1: done a lot of stuff, <laughs> and it this kicks my ass i mean i'm and I love it i mean it's it's challenging it's it's fun it's difficult I mean maybe it's also because of like where I'm at in my life and my in my age, like I'm not twenty something anymore, or, like a teenager that's just like I can bounce up and do anything all the time now. I have to figure out how to pace myself in a certain setting. And Dormisha her choreography is, is the ultimate. I can't praise her enough. I think she's maybe the most underrated artist in our country. Whoa. Period. That's because, a strong statement, but no, I think I agree. And I say that because of where she's already at artistically and what she's already done and how 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 much... She does not get for what she's done. I don't understand. Like, I don't really get what else she needs to do artistically to get people's attention and say, yo, check me out or check this workout. It's very frustrating for me to see that because I I know the level of artistry that she's at. And she's not the best. She's number two.
2: No, that was clear when we saw it. We were really we were impressed. Very Obviously, impressed. with all three of you, but mm-hmm. we're very impressed with her. Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah, she's, you know, yeah. she's the ultimate. And so this show has, to me, raised the bar again. Now, when you talk about the social justice elements, I mean, the reality of it is that it's a show that features black people. And in this day and age, we are endangered species. Anything that we do right now, it has a social justice meaning behind it, even without having to say, yo, I'm black and I'm proud, or Black Lives Matter. We're saying that by being here, by doing what we do. Now, I don't know, we're in some really tough times, and so this show probably is even more necessary now than ever because of the lack of respect and love that is happening in our own country.
2: Definitely.
0: I don't know if
1: the art is going to help that, but...
0: I would hope so. I feel like uh, you're kind of articulating a philosophy of showing people, like I don't know, showing them what's being brought to the world at like the very top level by a community that might be marginalized or otherwise disrespected. I mean, or members of that community. Like, you guys are the best in your field, and to show people that is is important. I I think it has to be
1: important. Thanks. I, I hope that I hope people can take it serious enough to just appreciate the work. Yeah, because again, the work itself, like you guys saw, is very it's it's amazing. You know it the is. choreography, the dynamics in the show too. Yeah, I mean, there's a range of emotion and feeling and style. So yeah, it's the kind of show that I think people need right now. But it's we need so much more. Yeah, like it. It's it's we're lacking so much. The fact that we we have to have like the Oscars so white and like all these protests about things not being diverse enough yet is so ridiculous to me. I'm the first black tap dancer to win an Emmy for choreography. Hmm. The first.
2: Oh, my gosh! I'm
1: 36 years old. That is a problem when people were like, wow, congrats. I'm like, no. This is wrong. What about Gregory Hines and Savion New Glover Kalenians. and all these people, Sammy Davis Jr., all these people have, have contributed great works to television yeah. that could have been considered for this? Never, never, never. Not even considered. It, it, make, it pisses me off more than I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm the first. Nah, man. I should be yeah. 50th on the list, you know?
2: Hmm. Wow. Just for our listeners real quick, what did you win the Emmy for?
1: For um outstanding choreography for the opening number of the Jerry Lewis Telethon. Oh, okay. In two thousand and three was wow. was the opening number I did.
0: Oh, okay, great. Is that on YouTube? Like can we find that video and it should be car? on YouTube, yeah, we gotta yes. Find
1: that. And what's interesting is we, we featured Fayard Nicholas, Arthur Duncan, Arlene Kennedy, and Skip Cunningham who are all legends in in tap. And aside from them we had every other generation we had 20 and 30 40 year olds we had the the teens and then we had like some 7 and 8 year olds in there so we had like four generations of tap dancers in there and wow there were 50 tap dancers in the number hmm. there was improv there was choreography there was it was it was a crazy number so oh great and it was also at a time before any of these Reality dance competition shows. Yeah,
2: it's almost so. like the public was like, Ooh, give me more. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right.
2: You started it. <laughs> Maybe. <love> it. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so good. Wouldn't it be
1: the first time tap dancers set something off?
2: Mm hmm. But to your earlier point, I do think right now we live in a time where there's so much that needs to be said, but it's also a time where we realize we really have so much farther to go. <sighs> It's <laughs> it's depressing. It yeah, it's man, crazy it's, times that we live in, and yeah, I, it's kind of like like the protest sign. Are you kidding me? I have to protest this shit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it like, yeah. says it all.
0: That's what somebody had. Yeah, That's someone perfect. put that. I,
1: or I'm just are you, you kidding
0: me? That's all you need on the sign.
1: Yeah. What what got me really for real? Because I mean, I you know I'm pretty much pissed off every day being a black man in this country. I mean, it's mm-hmm. something to be mad at every single day when I wake up. And it's it's easy to just slip down a really negative road.
3: Definitely. But what
1: got me in these recent times is seeing my sister go with my niece, my 13-year-old niece, to protest. Nice. And the fact that my niece has to go and protest for her rights in the streets of hmm. this city, totally. it made me want to destroy something. Mm-hmm.
2: Totally. That's
1: when it was, because I don't have kids, so mm-hmm. the closest thing is my niece, my nephews, if they got to fight for their own personal rights to just be, to just be, yo, I'm going to war. I'm on the front lines fighting for them, for us, for yeah. all of, yo, yeah. this this is deeper than art right now, man. I mean, I'm on the front line with the art, but the reality is we're going to have to figure out the next step of this battle because it might go further than just the stage and the radio and, we might need to really stand up for our, our beliefs for real. Oh, and if yeah. we don't, we see what's happening. It being snatched away executive order by executive order.
0: Oh, every day we sit in our office and we're all just like, what can we do? I think that's the stage everyone's in right now. It's like, what can I really do? Like we're all trying to make calls every day to representatives and stuff, like what can we do? I mean, I think to some extent you have to use your art and you have to use what you have to show the world like this is what I'm bringing to the table stand up and, and listen and watch but yeah, beyond that, you're right. It's the more than that. The power
1: is in the, it's with us though. We, we forget yeah, that Yeah, we like, hired these people. We, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, there's, even if you just <laughs> look at right, sheer but... numbers, there's more of us than there are of them. If you think about it like that, it can maybe take some of the fear of, oh my God, if I do this, I'm going to get taken down or boom, boom, boom. This is a, listen, if we all stand up, it's it's over. Their game crumbles and collapses and we can do what we really need to do to get society where it needs to be. It's going to be, it's going to take, a long time now because we're taking steps back. We Artistically, really we're going to have to keep making our statements, mm-hmm. but we, we got to make real moves, too. Like, I already started personally boycotting any company that I know is supporting this administration. Mm.
3: Definitely. Good. That is
1: the first thing I can do. Smart. all the money. I mean, yeah. even with local government, I, I don't trust local government to go and change what's happening right now. So the only thing I can do right now is my personal stuff. Good. So yeah. if I can make moves here, then I'll, I'll do that. Financially, because that's the only thing these these people care about anyway. They only care about money. Yeah. So if we hit them in the pocket, well, now what?
0: More than ever right now.
2: Yeah. Oh my god. Well, we so gotta, much. Yeah, We gotta stick together though.
3: <laughs> so
0: depressing. We
2: really do. Absolutely. I mean, if one thing it has brought certain people closer together, which is good.
0: Yeah, I think my favorite example of the idea of really standing up as a, a block against some of the things happening is. Uh, I think it was still during the election, um, when there was talk like creating a Muslim registry or something, which I don't even want to say. It sounds so dirty and disgusting for this country or any, anywhere. Um, a bunch of people were saying on Facebook, you know, white, Christian, whatever people like, I'll sign up for the registry. We'll all sign up for the registry. And that's just a great example of, of actualizing that sentiment of like, oh, you want to do this? We're going to subvert your game because we're, we're all here. Right. And you minority jerks running the country <laughs> can shove it.
1: You know. Yeah, we, we, gotta we've got to stand together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, this is like the test right here. And if we don't, then we fail the test. And I think we've already failed the test. Yeah. The test was, oh, we, we took it. the we test. We failed test it. This, this is the result of the failure. And now we got to deal with the failure. Mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm. <laughs> we live in like two or three different countries. And that's really the Definitely. reality. You yeah. know so what weird. I mean? Like people deny it, but you can really split this place up. You could have the Northeast, the Midwest, South, or yeah, right. part of the Midwest and South, and then the West Coast.
2: You're right. Yeah. You Very good. Three
1: and... different countries.
2: Yeah. yeah cities versus rural areas the cities <laughs> rural and suburbs or something mm-hmm. yeah
1: but i mean we we've been able to get this far so how do we get to the point where we can find middle ground again cuz right now we're all the way over to the right side and i get it like it had to shift back from being over on that liberal mm-hmm. democratic Backlash. movement before it to go come back on the opposite end like this is yeah. yo I don't know. I know people that have moved already. Mm -hmm. I know people that said, oh, this is what the result is. Find me in Peru. I'll be down here.
2: I'm moving to Berlin. (laughs) Yeah, you
1: are moving to (laughs) Berlin. I mean, I don't want to be the the first to be out because this is my country. Yeah,
3: definitely. Like
1: The way I feel is like they got to go because we don't tolerate that BS here. At least we don't. Yeah, you know, maybe some people do tolerate that, but yo, not here, yeah. not in my home. Not and in they New York. will
2: go, mm-hmm. and we have to keep reminding ourselves that.
1: Yeah, know? exactly. We got to remember that this is a, this is not a permanent situation, and we this is the time to stand stronger and and to really get our 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 stuff together right now.
3: Definitely,
0: we
1: need to organize. We need to put our money together, and yeah.
0: Yeah, yep. it's a lot to do.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of work to do.
0: Well, we have so many more questions we wanted to get to yeah. that we <laughs> haven't even gotten to touch on. Sorry, but um oh, No, this is what we do. We I mean, we end up going it. off, and then we yeah. have to schedule a second <laughs> interview to bring people back to <laughs> cover good. the rest. Um, but on that note, I mean, you guys are doing this incredible show. You're really showing everyone what you got to offer. It's amazing. And uh, you're touring with it. So yeah. tell us about your tour and where you're bringing the show. And- where people can see well, it.
1: Well, uh the plan so far this year, we we have some shows coming up in Houston. And then I know we have something planned for this summer at uh Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem. We're actually awesome. going to do a tribute to Charlie Parker. Oh, and cool. We're going to bring some some choreography back from that. There's talks about the Joyce, maybe next year there. I
2: was totally Totally. thinking that was the best venue for that show. Me too, like totally natural, natural
1: habitat. I mean, you know, it's a great dance venue. It's a perfect size for a dance show, and it's somewhere we've all performed before. I mean, I've presented work there. I've performed with other companies there. Derek and should have done the same, so...
2: Yeah. I'm in this activist state of mind calling people. I want to call the Joyce and say, can you bring that show? Yeah. (laughs) Good idea. (laughs) That's what's up. Why not? That's the mindset that we have to be in. Well, that's, you know, that's,
1: Mm -hmm. we, we want to try to build momentum because the reality is like, when you start to get in a little the circuit here, you can get good momentum if people are on board with whatever you're whatever you're selling. So yeah. we wanna try to get this show in rotation so that it's in people's consciousness and that again it becomes a new standard so that people could say, All right, well, if this is like the bottom line now what yeah. yeah exactly I don't
0: see it getting better from there <laughs> like I don't really oh, know no, how there's more there's some kind of ceiling there's, there's at some a point lot more there's did. a lot
1: more we just you know again especially with, with like Dormatia, this is the first time her work is being presented on this level I mean I can't even imagine like the stuff that she's going to be producing over the years to come but yeah I think it's a it's a great opportunity for people to see so Houston New York Hopefully the Joyce next year and, and honestly we're open to book this show. Like we're we're trying to put it out there on the road. You know, we'd like to stay local, but if we can take it on you know, overseas, South America, Asia, Africa, we we'd love to do any of that and all of that.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. This was such a great conversation. Likewise, really you guys have great it. questions. Yeah. <laughs> you have great answers. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. And then we also have Simone Maurice in studio with us. So Simone, thank you so much for coming with Jason today and being here.
4: Thanks for inviting me, and thanks. It's great to be here.
0: Um, so why don't you just tell us kind of an overview about your documentary? how you got started on this project and, and what it covers.
4: Sure. So the the documentary uh, is the outcome of a um, my thesis uh, film or thesis project that came out of the New School, the New School uh-huh. Doc Studies program. And initially I was researching different ideas and uh, being in New York, I'm from Toronto, I should just give some context to everyone <laughs> who's <laughs> listening. So being in New York, I was thinking, who do I know in New York City? And Jason came to mind. I was involved with a dance convention back in Toronto. And that's where I had initially met Jason. Are you a dancer? I am a dancer. Okay, there you go. And so uh, and so, I reached out to Jason, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you get your degree. I'll help you." (laughs) So I I came out to um, at the time it was tap the turkey off um, at Steps in Broadway. I I love that name. (laughs) And and it was it was uh, a great event. Uh, Dormitia and and and, and Jason were there, and uh, that was the first time I was. That was my first introduction to Dorme, Dormesha, Dormesha. Mm. Uh, and she is, she according is to true. what Jason would say, Dormesha's is a problem. <laughs> That's
3: what Jason would say. I love it. So a
4: that. <laughs> She's, a She's a problem. She's a yeah, big problem. Yeah, I saw her. I saw her do her, uh, like a routine, and I thought this was incredible. Mm-hmm. And then she re- she reversed it, and then wait she li- literally she, re- she yeah, took the she, steps and reversed it. She did, yeah. It was across the floor, yeah. and it was it sounded like rudimentary.
0: Had she rehearsed but, that in advance? Uh, like I bike? have no, like just <laughs> from what I've seen of Dormisha, yeah. I wouldn't be
4: you know I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah. I remember yeah. seeing that. But out of <laughs> that, I mean, that was something that I initially took to the director of the program, and she saw that and fell in love. She just said mm. that looked like mm-hmm. a what they call it a. Harvard Sensory Ethnography Lab film where you're immersed what? in an experience. Oh. And um, what I showed the director yeah. turns out to be the first sequence or the in- opening sequence of, of the film.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And is the documentary, uh, does it go into like, the history of TAP or is it more about what's happening now with uh Sure. Jason so
4: it, it's a challenge for me to describe what the film is because yeah. Jason does it so eloquently in the film. And Mm -hmm. what it is, it really talks about, addresses the where TAP comes from or current perception of TAP. I know when I started learning TAP, uh, I was told the same thing in the film. Jason refers to it as a retweet now, just a blanketed statement uh, about where TAP where Mm -hmm. TAP's from Mm -hmm. and that it's a misconception what happens in the film is that he equates the origins and erasure of of tap culture to what's happening now in terms of gentrification and erasure of African American culture. Now,
3: interesting. Um, Huge
4: now, parallel. he does that very eloquently. Me saying this really bears no weight. The, the The film itself, I think, speaks for itself and also gives an opportunity for tap to actually speak for itself to the actual art form itself to speak so tap the actual Uh tapping the dance itself has a voice
0: yeah Yeah. that's excellent on so many levels and I love just the metaphor of that statement tap speaking for itself since tap is an acoustic <laughs> dance art form is mm-hmm. like speaking for itself it's language uh, exactly it is a language wow. that's right yeah so you did tap dance then that's correct yes. and other forms of dance as well
4: absolutely yeah i grew up i grew up in in a dance studio so if i mm-hmm. wasn't if i wasn't in school i was in a studio and if i wasn't in a studio i was performing so mm-hmm. i did i took jazz tap ballet modern the whole gamut and uh, of course led into teaching dance mm-hmm. and in a long time ago hosting a dance instructional TV show oh, and wow. so it oh, it, it was <laughs> this up wow. but yeah so I initially I, I should say this, the, the film and the intention of the film initially was to have just the tap be the voice of, of the film mm. and ultimately um, and I do have to give credit to my, uh, my thesis, thesis advisor, her name is Deirdre Boyle uh, who's very, very well respected in the documentary film community, and she just said, you know, it's not. I, I'm a fan of what they call direct cinema, so you're just a fly in the wall. Mm. And so she just said, no, go there, go, go with what you know, with what Jason wants to say. And and so that's that's how the film flourished into what what it became.
2: That's great. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And I have to say, as someone who viewed this film, I. I have to say the way you described it is perfect. Um, It just, Jason just eloquently made it happen, but there was this seamless tapping and rhythm all throughout the film. That was definitely in the background. Mm. Yet there was also a side story. Um, You see Jason teaching um, students of all ages and all backgrounds, I think in what looked like a community center. Yep, That was a community center in New Jersey
1: two blocks from my house actually yeah Mm. Yeah.
2: and that was amazing too to see how you are really um giving back to your community like I really felt that strong sense of you're teaching people how to tap and have a voice and then you even said you were giving them tap shoes and I was like oh my gosh (laughs) that was which I think is the most important
0: thing in dance because that's how you get the next generation of dancers exactly you, you teach them to dance that's well, how people come to <clears> that
1: dance. You know, one thing we talk about in the film and just Simone and I have discussed is just the pool of artists that we're going to be developing for the next generation. It's not it, there are great artists around the world, but who is going to really carry the torch of this tradition on of this mm-hmm. culture? Because, you know, when you go and you teach somewhere abroad, again, they love the steps. They love the dance. They don't really care as much for the culture or -hmm. the people Mm -hmm. of the dance. And so one of my personal goals is to try to reattach those two things and say, you can't have the dance without the people, Hmm. without the culture. I mean, you can't do that in any other form of dance. Why would you do it in tap and say that it's acceptable? Definitely. You know?
0: Well, I wonder. I mean, maybe tap is almost less separable, though, from its history. Because I feel like with ballet... Oftentimes, you're recreating classic ballets, and so you just have to get into the the characters that have been around for a million years, you know? Whereas maybe with Tab, it sounds like there's more of a rich history based in the personalities of the performers versus they're not just repeating. You're right. And I mean, I have no... I'm
1: such a bunhead. I'm not criticizing either side. (laughs) No, you're right, and I think the individuality definitely allows people to add their own story. And we, Mm -hmm. we encourage that we want people to tell their own story, but we don't want people to forget the story of the dance that got to them.
0: Right. That's how, yeah.
1: Because again, even within ballet, you know, when you're, when you're studying, when you're studying with a serious teacher, they're Mm going to tell you about the lineage. They're going to tell you about important teachers, performers and choreographers, that are all connected to the original root of that st- of that style. That's true. That doesn't happen in a, in every tap class mm. because mm. a lot of tap dancers don't know it themselves. Mm. So how are they going to teach it? Yeah,
0: mm. we have that's a lot of idols true. in the ballet world, and that's helpful for students. Well, to we, have that we,
1: we have that in tap. Mm-hmm. It's just there's a disconnect now.
0: Yeah, I was
4: going to say there's a disconnect in the, even the discourse of how tap is is, is shared. So yeah. so tap being very oral and very in terms of the the history of it is very oral. That there's an intimate connection between the student and the teacher. Whereas with ballet, there is a structure. Even ballet, the, the foundations of ballet is something that um, came out of even came out of a certain class as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that really bolstered bolstered that story in such a way. That it is more um, easily shareable in a in an accurate sense, whereas huh. whereas not that tap is left to interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think this is the entry point of where the film is. But the first thing I know for me that I learned when I was tapping is that. Uh, Tap is a combination of of African dance and Irish step dancing, Mm. and Jason was the first person I would have to say, and after, and I I am, and I was a tap teacher not knowing this uh, yeah. so there is something to definitely be said about there is definitely a disconnect in how that's communicated you know it's not attributed to a set repertoire or set technique more so just having um, checks and balances or accountability in the nature of the art form itself uh, attached to being a teacher understanding that that lineage and sharing that accurately too is the accuracy of that lineage it wow. happens as well with, with hip hop dance too yeah. It's more ubiquitous that's and also more that. nebulous with hip hop dance, but that's also indicative of African American history altogether. And African oral.
1: culture in general is that these these forms have been passed on by word of mouth, by being uh, mm-hmm. an apprentice to somebody who is a master in that craft. They're not necessarily giving you a textbook and say, yo, to come back tomorrow having, <laughs> you know, defined three through five. No. They they're saying, look. I got this here. Does your job to now remember that because yeah, it's, right. th- this was passed through griots, through well, people who knew everything about everybody.
2: Right. You know. So my next question was actually going to be, is there a tap history book or a history book that really takes this knowledge, <laughs> has really sat down with like inter <laughs> people mm. to interview, the lineage? We're nerds. We want to read it.
1: There's not one. In um, to the, film. the the one that i recommend the highest is called stepping on the blues mm-hmm. and it's by Jackie Malone because she really she really talks about um the african american traditions in america pertaining to dance and music
2: and mm-hmm. she
1: she focuses on the second line in new orleans and the dance tradition that grew out of these these parades of musicians
3: mm-hmm. and how
1: important the dancers were in these parades she talks about the stepping and frat and sorority traditions hmm. of, of step dance and how that's filtered through the African American experience in this country. Hmm. She talks about uh the dances that were done in Motown and how yeah. those were My favorite. Right. And those dancers were primarily choreographed by a tap dancer hmm. by oh. uh by Charlie Atkins who was a partner to Honey Coles. Hmm. So that she talks about all a lot of those traditions how they're connected to each other and also you know how they've affected popular culture in this country mm-hmm. and she looks at it from an African American perspective because she's mm-hmm. black now every other book written on tap is not written by an African American
3: right so mm-hmm.
1: what i came to conclusion is that People want to write their own culture into the history of this dance. Mm.
2: That's interesting and not surprising at all. Right. It's, I mean, yeah.
1: It, right. Yeah, it's not surprising. Exactly. Not yeah. surprising. And it's interesting that you see it over and over again in almost yeah. every book that's written about tap. It's cut and play, paste. We talk about this all the time. Mm. It's the same paragraph in every single tap book. Oh,
3: my God. Yeah.
1: The Irish and the Africans got together, which... Please tell me when, when and when where that because so, Irish and African <laughs> heads don't hang too tough right now. Right. So you're telling me in the is 1400s, that... 1500s, Cass was just <laughs> kicking it, you know what I'm saying, after yeah. a hard day's work of slavery and indentured servitude. <laughs> yeah. Let's go hang out in the woods and create a dance forum together. Yeah. Really? So, so
0: did Irish Step not have? Was it? Did they not so, combine somewhere down the line? My is opinion, that inaccurate? Th-
1: this is my opinion because, again, I'm not. T- saying this is what happened mm-hmm. but in my opinion um irish step dance is its own form oh yeah i mean Sean it knows is irish well. step dance they, it's very different it's its, its own it's form pure. it's its own lineage it's its own history mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, are there similarities of tap vocabulary with Irish step dance of course but there's also similarities with flamenco with indian kathak oh. with malambo in argentina Interesting. with with every rhythmic dance form there is a similarity there so you can easily say they're all connected yeah and then you can easily say they're not because you look at how spread out all these dance forms are here it's easy to say well this is a melting pot right this is america it's so Yeah, of course, it might have started out in the black community, but that black fellow was watching that Irish dancer and took these steps. Even if that's true, that doesn't make it the root of the dance. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. And I think
1: those two things have gotten crossed really quickly here to say, oh, well, that might be a step that is used in Irish step dance vocabulary. All of a sudden now Irish step dance is a root of this dance.
3: Yeah.
1: Really? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, when like when I hear a story like that, my question is always, you know, just out of curiosity, well how did if I hear a statement like, oh, well, these two things came together, you know, I always want to know how, how? like, who who brought them together. So exactly, if somebody made a compelling argument and said, well, you know, Fred Astaire was Irish and he learned Irish step dancing to start with, and the then he learned West African, African and, and then, then he, like, right. got into the movie, would be like, oh, interesting, it. okay, so there was sure. some melding. But if they can't show any examples of when it came together, then I think it, it doesn't really bear, yeah. bear weight yeah, as mo- an argument. Most you know? of the examples
1: <laughs> are... By word of mouth, it's stories sure. about, oh well, I saw this person do this and this yeah. and that. There's there is no uh one moment where again there was that light that light that went off. I think when when uh, Dickens wrote about Master Juba, that was the beginning of the consciousness of of people outside of the, the black community. Maybe mm-hmm. there were other people that were aware of it at that time. But to be honest, it was something just done within that circle. <laughs> Until it got to the point where it was like in medicine shows in Vaudeville, people didn't know about this unless they were going to plantations to go see these dancers dance, and then they were battling each other. Oh. Before then, it wasn't commercial. It wasn't on the stage. It wasn't created for the stage. It was just being done. And then once mm-hmm. it developed to the point where people were interested in seeing it, on a different level. Then it it emerged into whatever commercial world it ended up in. But until then it was just being developed in in these small pockets of communities that were there people trying to really get in touch with their own identity. You know, when you're doing these dances and you're and you're playing this music, it's 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 an attempt to reach back into your own personal past and connect with it somehow because there's been a lot of detachment a lot of splicing and cutting and saying this is not you this is not yours that's not your name don't praise that god no 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 so now you have to navigate through that and a lot of that navigation is done through arts it's done through the dance the music the food the culinary arts fashion you look at all the things that African-Americans have contributed to the culture here and African-Canadians, I would say, to the the culture in Canada as well. Mm -hmm. We constantly contribute to society. Are these things recognized as being our contributions? Mostly not.
2: Not formally. Right. As well as they should be. We'll
1: see. And so when you think about something as old as TAP, of course- they're not going to give the credit to the people that set it off way back then from this community of people. Mm. Why would you give people that credit? Right. You're giving them power then. You're you're empowering them. Okay. Now, this, this is what the whole full circle of this entire thing is about. Yeah. It's yeah. giving the power back to the people. It's been taken for for so many reasons. And now, mm. we're at a stage where it's, it's about finances. Mm-hmm. So, it's not even about race anymore. It's about do you have this much money? And if you don't, well, now you're all, we're all in the same pool together. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where's the power at? The power is in what you already have, your abilities, your skills, your knowledge, your wisdom. The dance is one of those powers and abilities. When you take that away from the people, you have just crippled them in a certain way that they don't even know they're being crippled. Sorry for going
0: off. No, it's really really interesting. And I think we all learned so many things we weren't even expecting. um, I think
2: we should put a challenge out for our listeners. Write the real story. But that includes interviewing people. Yes. (laughs) I mean, you need primary
0: sources at this point to get the (laughs) real story. Interviews.
1: And, and I, I believe, like you would have to get anthropologists. Yeah, you would have yeah. to get scientists.
0: You're right. You got to get musicians. Like
1: real, yeah. You you got to get people from different fields who are determined to get the same goal, yeah. which is let's get this full story, which was is, is going to require traveling to yeah. all these West African places and to Ireland and England and Scotland and all the places that people claim that these roots are, yeah. we need to really do that research because for the people that have written these books, I don't know, legwork, I don't know how much they actually did, especially Definitely. when you're talking about the actual root.
2: Right. it's easy to
1: just be like, click, 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 click. Paste,
2: (laughs) copy, paste,
1: and now we got the root again. There we go.
2: I have to say, I mean,
0: we definitely want books and texts and more information and details, but it sounds like this film is a... Is taking a great step in that direction um, by showcasing some of the knowledge that Jason has and the Tap community has today. Um, so again, that the film is lost in the shuffle. I haven't seen it yet. I can't wait to see it, especially after this conversation. I'm, yeah. I'm so excited. So f- thanks for making that contribution, Simone.
4: Oh, it's my pleasure. You have, you have to thank Jason. I, I, just, I just, I just, I literally just stuck the camera in front the of camera. him.
0: And he, he just went. <laughs> so put it together very artfully. So, yeah. <laughs> no, Congratulations to both of you. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, this has been really great, and I learned so much.
1: <laughs> thank you both for having
4: us. Yeah. Know. Thanks so much, and Jason's always, always a history lesson, always. <laughs> like, seriously, he really I love is. love it. <laughs> Right. Yeah,
3: I'm getting old now. I'm getting
1: old. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, uh, thank you. You know, just to have the chance to, to keep talking about all of these things is really it's really valuable and important because, as dancers, you know, people are used to seeing us and not hearing us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, especially speak. Yep. So, Diane Walker always told me every time you perform, you should say something. Mm. Say something, even if you just greet the crowd, say, hello, good evening, how are you doing tonight? I love that. You know, then you can get get to work, but, yeah.
0: We're going to take that and use it as a promo for our podcast,
3: what you just said. Uh (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so
4: much.
3: Thank you.